in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to start from verses 25. And we're going to read through verse 30. If you got it, I want you to say amen. It wasn't everybody, so I'll wait a little bit. Amen. If your neighbor is struggling, help them out. <laughs> amen. Somebody says, I'm just going to read on the monitor right now. I have, to, I have to go back and study my Bible. Amen. John chapter 4, starting from verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who was called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And in that moment, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. For the next few moments, I want to preach to you on this subject, on this focus, the power of freedom. The power of freedom. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, there's power in freedom. Turn to your other neighbor and say what he said. What he said, amen. If you can put down your Bibles and stretch your hands out to the Lord, we're going to ask the Lord to bless this message. When you stretch out your hands to God, let it be both hands. Stretch it unto the Lord with expectation. Stretch it unto the Lord because you know that he's getting ready to pour into your spirit. Stretch to the Lord as a testament of you giving him your undivided attention for the next few moments. Lord, we come before you as humbly as we know how in this moment. Father, we believe that your spirit, dear God, we can just feel your presence right now, dear God. And so we just want to linger in it right now. Father, we all come with our, our different stories, our different backgrounds, dear God. We all come with our own testimonies, dear God. Many of us, we come with our own baggage, Jesus. And right now, for the next few moments, we release it unto you. Father, we believe, dear God, that in this service, you're getting ready to share something with us, dear God. We're getting ready, dear God, in this service to experience a revival, to experience transformation of self, dear God. And so, Lord, we want to do our part and release ourselves to you. We want to give you our thoughts. We want to give you our emotions. We want to give you, dear God, all the baggage, dear God, because we believe that you're going to return to us something better. If you believe that, say amen. You can take your seat in Jesus' name. The power of freedom. In, our, in this opening text, Jesus is speaking to this Samaritan woman at the well. And if you've read this story before, a lot of us are very familiar with, um, this, this Samaritan lady came, um, I'm, I'm going to say with an attitude, Amen. But her attitude was not for no reason. She came to the well minding her own business. And that was intentional. It was intentional that she was minding her own business because anytime she faced something that reminds her of her past, it makes her feel some type of way. And so she's going to the well minding her own business and she's coming with shame and she's coming with guilt from her past. And I don't know about you, when you feel ashamed of something, you don't want anybody reminding you of it. 
when you're struggling with, with hurt and pain, when you have your own baggage, you don't want anybody rubbing it in your face. This woman at the well, she's experienced this all too much in her life. She's dealt with the gossip. She's dealt with being a social outcast. She's, she's dealt with depression. And she's living a life that she knows and feels already that is not pleasing to God, but there's something about her pain and her hurt that perpetuates the cycle. Can anybody relate to that feeling that you, you know sometimes that there are certain things to do wrong, but because of certain pain and hurt, we often find ourselves doing the very things that we know that we shouldn't be doing? This woman at the well understands her situation all too well. And she is waiting on something. She's waiting on the Messiah. Not knowing that she's already speaking to the Messiah. She's waiting on the Savior, someone to explain all of this to them, to her. That's a reality that we face in our world, especially with young people. Young people, hear me, hear me very carefully right now. The, the world will have you to believe that the only answer to your situation is for you to put a smile on your face and, and pretend like things are going to be okay. In other words, that you would have to fake it until you make it. But if somebody were to have a real conversation with you, or rather, if you were to have a real conversation with somebody, and you, were, and you knew that they were genuine, you would ask some real questions. Why do I have to deal with the pain in my life? Why do I struggle the way that I struggle? Why is it that I, I can't seem to shake this shame? Why is it that I'm prone to do the things that I know that I have no business doing? And it's a struggle because I, I feel so in bondage. I feel so shackled up. And when I try to have real conversations about it, it triggers me. Is anybody familiar with that term, triggered? You know, you can tell how much somebody has been healed or, or whether or not somebody has overcome something based on what happens when you bring up certain subjects. You know, a, a person who has struggled in a certain area, it's almost as if, and people will put a smile on their face and they say, I'm good and I'm okay. How you doing? I'm okay. God is good. Jesus loves me. Amen. Right? How was your day? My, my day was great. I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen? Seems like we always know the right things to say. But if somebody were to reach down into your soul and acknowledge something that you've been trying to bury for a long time, it will make you feel some kind of way. And so this woman at the well, she has created a reality for herself. You see, in context, it was customary at this time for women to go to the well early in the morning because it was cooler of, of the day. Not cooler like you cool, like Faith was talking about. But it was cooler. The, the temperature was right on point. But it was known for them to also go in the morning because they would get their water for the day. Amen? They would go and get their water, and they would use that water to, to bathe them and their families. They would use that water to, to plant, to garden, to, to make food. So they were carrying a lot of water, and they would go together in fellowship also, but also for protection. Early in the morning, and this woman at the well, she's by herself at the hottest point of the day. 
because she doesn't want to deal with people who are going to remind her of her past. She doesn't want to deal with people who are going to shame her because she doesn't want to deal with the pain and unanswered questions because if we're honest, if we have questions that cannot be answered, it makes us angry. And it makes us want to bury that pain deep down inside. But she didn't know who she was speaking to. But before I continue to talk about the power of freedom that she's not experiencing in this moment, I want to acknowledge a little further the power of her bondage. You see, we understand and appreciate freedom because we know what it feels like to have experiences that has left us in bondage to something or someone. You see, bondage is simply enslavement and impression and suppression, excuse me. I'm going to say that again. Bondage in definition is simply enslavement and suppression. Enslavement because of the control someone or something has over you. Control over your thoughts. Control over your feelings. Control over your responses in life. Suppression because something or someone stops what could be from ever being. In other words, there... Our past has a way of haunting us so that we never grow. Our past has a way of haunting us so that when we read Jeremiah 29 and 11, when Jesus, when God says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, I want somebody to point to yourself right now. Jesus says in his word, I know. I don't care what everybody else says. I don't care what the people said that hurt you, that left scars on your heart. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Thoughts not to harm you but to give you hope for a future. And a lot of times the pain that we never deal with and questions that we take to the wrong people stunts our growth. And it stops what could be from ever being. It stops missionaries from ever becoming missionaries. It stops preachers from ever becoming preachers. It stops praise and worship leaders from ever becoming praise and worship leaders. But we have some testimonies in here today of how God has wrote a story in somebody's life and how somebody has responded to that call in the name of Jesus. You see, in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, not the world. You know, there are some things in life that only God can deal with. I'm preaching to somebody right now. There are some things in life, there's some questions that mommy and daddy cannot answer. There's some things that the president cannot answer. There's some things that your youth pastor cannot answer. There's some things in life that you have to go directly to the source and you have to drink from the well that never runs dry. There's some things in life that you just have to, you just have to take a leap of faith and reach out to the Lord. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31, people who believe in him, and he says, you truly are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. The issue is that a lot of times we hear the word of God or we might read the word of God, and because we read it and we understand it, we expect things to change, but we never apply the word of God. We're never faithful to God. And the Lord is letting us know that it takes application. That if you really want to show yourself to be a disciple, if you really want to show yourself to be a follower, it looks a certain way. My people are faithful. They trust me with their pain. They trust me with their scars, even though it's not easy. 
Because when you start sharing your testimony, it is hard. It is difficult. It is painful. In John 8 and 32, it says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is the word of God. When Jonathan was talking about Bible quizzing, that's why it's so important for young people to know their word. That you can be nervous sharing the word of God, but you're still sharing the word of God. You can be nervous projecting and being obedient to the word, but you're still doing it. And after a while, it gets easier. It gets easier to share your testimony. It gets easier to do the things of God. And it doesn't get easier just because of your strength, just because you're getting smarter, just because you've been doing it a long time. It gets easier because God is revealing things to you every time you take a leap of faith. He is showing you. But we all have our story. We all have our experiences. Some people have their experience with God. And some people have their experience with the world. This woman at the well was having her experience with the world until she had her experience with God. And so it makes you wonder, what did Jesus say? We know what Jesus said. What was it? What was she thinking? What was she processing? What was the game changer? What did Jesus say to her to make her run and leave everything that she was doing on that long, hot journey, to leave her water, her provision, her earthly provisions for the day, to run and face the entire society that shamed her and judged her? What empowered her? What freed her? But if we make it personal, we have to think about our personal struggle. We have to talk about things that we don't like talking about. We have to open up our eyes to what God is trying to do in our life. As I said before, even when it is most difficult for you to do it. But we have to assess ourselves. And that's why we prayed that prayer in the beginning. When you stretch up your hands to God, it is not something that you do in vain. A baby doesn't reach up to mom and dad to give them a high five. They want to be picked up. They want to be fed. They want to be taken care of. We don't reach our hands up to God because we're religious people. We reach our hands up to God because we know who we're reaching our hands up to. But when we think about our struggle, when we, when we think about our story, what is yours? What are your scars? What are your baggages? What are your struggles? What are things that you know for a fact that you have never dealt with? What are things that you've been bearing for years? What are excuses that you've been making for yourself? What are things that easily trigger you? What are things that lead you into arguments? What are things that upset you that brings tears to your eyes when you acknowledge? So whenever it comes up, you begin to press it down in the uttermost parts of your heart. Maybe for you young person, it might be the fact that at some point in your life you were bullied. And you can't possibly understand how, how somebody can single you out and target you. And nobody's ever been able to answer that question for you. Maybe at some point you suffered abuse of some form. And you've never been able to deal with it. Because every time you had questions, you never had an answer. And it felt as though that you were dealing with something that could not be fixed. Maybe your story, maybe your issue is that you grew up like myself in a one-parent household. And as much as your parent is the best and they do whatever they can for you, you always felt as though that there was something that you were lacking that other people had. 
is your story? What is the thing that you know for a fact that will fully release you if God were to do a number in your life regarding that topic? Maybe somebody has teased you before to the point of insecurity. And so you struggle with self-esteem. You struggle with your identity. You struggle to see yourself being capable. You struggle to see yourself being used by God. What is your struggle? But you want to know the biggest thing that people, and, and it's not even unique to youth. It's not even unique to teenagers. The biggest thing that, that people struggle with, struggle with, if we have to sum all of this stuff up, the biggest thing that people suffer with is shame. I can't possibly be used by God because of my past. I don't deserve certain things because of what I've done. I don't deserve certain things because of what happened to me. We allow shame to destroy us. We allow shame to stun our growth. We listen to the enemy when we, when we should be listening to the Lord. We listen to the enemy when we should be in prayer. We listen to the enemy when we should, when we should be listening to the man or the woman of God. Why is it? What is it so toxic about our past that we're more prone to listen to the enemy than we are to listen to the things of God? Why do we struggle that way? And I'm going to tell you something. It's confusion. The devil will love to have you stay confused your entire life. The devil will love you to go 20, 30, 40, 60, 100 years of your life still asking the same questions over and over and over. But my Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of your pain. He's not the author of your hurt. And God is the only way who can go deep down inside your heart to acknowledge and bring down from the, bring up from the well. But you have to acknowledge it. As God is reaching down into your vessel, you have to allow him to cause a little discomfort. To bring forth healing. Because anything worth having is going to cause some pain in the name of Jesus. I don't know, for those who know my story, I, I grew up in a one-parent household. When I was four years old, my father went to prison and left to raise me and my four siblings was my mom. And for a long time, my mom didn't know how to handle things because her help me was not there. And so as my mom is trying to cope with everything in life, we're trying to cope with life as well. We're trying to figure out the world around us. And where we lived was a hot spot for drugs, gang, gang, uh, gangs, and crime. And having a family history deeply rooted in the lifestyle, it almost seemed inevitable that we would eventually enter into the same pattern. And so my mom is struggling, working two and three jobs at a time, and she's trying to hurry up and run home to make sure that we're not in trouble. And best believe we were often in some trouble. We were often making some dumb, stupid decisions, especially me and my brothers. She tried her best, but at the end of the day, it was one of her and five of us. But the reason why we did all these things is because we were trying to do whatever we could to cope with our pain. We were trying to do whatever we could to distract ourselves. And when you distract yourself in the world, you will find trouble. 
And so I remember that we reached the point where my mom got us in church and we were going to youth group. Some of us bought into it and some of us didn't. But we were all doing different things to cope. Some of us got heavily involved in sports. Some of us got heavily involved in music and liberal arts. Some of us got heavily involved in drugs and depression and did a very good job at putting a smile on their faces, trying their best to fake it until they make it, hoping that one day they will make it, realizing that they'll never make it without Jesus. And for myself, my struggle was education, and that's how I distracted myself. Education became my God. It was what I worshipped. Because I told myself that if I can put all my time and my energy into my education, then I'll never have to come back to this environment. And I'll never have to place whatever I want in the future, whether it be family or otherwise, inside this kind of predicament. I never want anybody to struggle the way that I struggled. And when I was in youth group, I heard my youth pastor. I heard them say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will take care of all these things. But I couldn't see the future, but I can understand what I could do right now to help myself out. And the Lord taught me a, a lesson from ninth grade up until about six, seven years ago. Education, that was my idol. That was my God. And I remember when I was going through my last year of school, I was going into prayer because I was asking God to bless a plan that was not his. I was asking God to, to, to honor the path that I was on that I knew was not a part of me. And I remember when I was seeking God and asking him to, to uh, allow me to have peace about this decision that I was making that I knew I had no business making, he told me to reach out to my brother. He told me to reach out to my younger brother. He told me to check on him. And like many people do, I made an excuse. I began to tell God, well, I have to study and I'm too busy and I have midterms coming up and the midterms pass and I told God I have finals coming up. And I kept making an excuse over and over and over and over. But I'm asking God to bless me. I'm asking God to heal me. I'm asking God to give me the future, give me, because I'm thinking that if I get this accomplishment, that if I have the career that I've always wanted, then all my issues of the past will be taken care of. And I remember that after finals, my mom gives me a call. And she says, have you heard about your brother? And I said, uh, I haven't spoken to him in a couple of months. And she said that he was in prison. And immediately... My mind went to all the times that God gave me a word. My mind went to all the times that God gave me a dream that I wrote. I had the nerve to write it down, but I never reached out to him. Because I kept telling myself that eventually I'm going to give my brother a call. But I remember, because my brother suffered through the same thing, every time I thought about my brother, I thought about pain. Every time I thought about my brother, I thought about the reality that we all tried to escape when we were kids because we were never healed. And a week later, my brother writes me this letter. He didn't have any paper, so he had one postcard, and he wrote in very small letters on this po postcard, front and back, because he was trying to fit every thought on this postcard, and he began to tell me, just open up 
about all the decisions that he should have made. He began to explain to me why he gave himself to things that he did when we were kids. And it was because of the same reasons why I gave myself to education. We were hurting. We had baggage. We had pain. We had questions that nobody had the answer to. We reached out to our, our mom. Our mom didn't have the answer. My dad, as real as all real, would get out, but his simple response was, you know, I was weak, and I'm sorry. And that was it. But for a kid, that is not enough. When you're dealing with pain, I don't know is not enough. And sometimes there's not answers. Sometimes there's just pain, and the only one who can take care of that pain is God himself. And I remember that after I spoke to my brother, we were crying over the phone, and I shared with him. I said, can I share with you all the dreams that I wrote down, the dates and the times? And I shared with him all those dreams and those times, and he just began to weep over the phone. And he was saying, bro, every single time that you had those dreams, I, I was struggling. And I was hurt because he had the nerve to say, I don't blame you, but I needed you. I needed you to be a big brother. But big brother wasn't healed because big brother couldn't take care of his own pain. And big brother refused to give it to God. Young people, hear me very carefully. Never keep your pain to yourself because you don't know whose blessing you're holding up. You never know whose blessing you're holding up. You never know a sibling. If God can restore you, if God can bless you, if God can reach down on the inside of you and deal with your pain, then he will empower you to reach out to other people who are in pain. After that, I stopped praying that prayer, and I just gave it to God. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he told me to give it up. He told me to give up seven years of college. He told me to give up my job. He told me to give up my apartment. He said, just give it up. And I promise you that I, as he began to strip things more and more away from me, it was the weakest moment of my life because for the first time in my life, I didn't feel in my flesh any hope for the future. I'm living out of my car on rest stop 33, driving back and forth from Columbus to Athens, trying to do whatever it is God is telling me to do, and I have no understanding on why he's choosing this approach. But I remember there was one moment I was laying, I, I had the Jeep at the time, and I was laying in the back seat of the Jeep, and I was trying to go to sleep, and I had trouble falling asleep, so I just decided to pray. And I, I, I swear to you that there was a smile that just went on my face because God gave me a revelation in that moment. Because as he began to strip all these things away from me, I still had my peace. I still had my joy. I still had a smile on my face. I still had everything that I need, and I finally understood in that moment when he said that if you would ask me, for a drink of water. If you knew who you were speaking to, I will give you water and you will be able to drink and never thirst again. I, I finally understood what he meant when he says that I am the bread of life. The bread of life of his word. So if you read the word and you apply it to your life, you can have nothing and have everything at the same time. His water is his Holy Spirit. So when he was speaking to the woman at the well, he was saying that a, a day is coming where it's not going to matter where you worship. Whether it's in your closet, whether it's at church, whether it's at school, whether it's in your, wherever you are, there's going to come a time where it doesn't matter where you worship, but you better be worshiping me. 
But then he gave this woman a revelation. He said that God is spirit, not flesh. So stop treating me like you treat man. Stop treating me like you treat the people that hurt you. He said God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. You see, in our opening text, all Jesus said to this woman that liberated her, that that gave her the power of freedom, was simply her story. But, But when she only perceived him to be a prophet when she, when she only perceived him to be a man of God, it wasn't enough. You know, the dialogue, it went something like this. It, it, it said, how can you, being a Jew, ask me a Samaritan, let alone a woman, to have a drink of my water? Don't you know that Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans? She had so much attitude, so much frustration. Jesus is still engaging her in conversation. He says, if you only knew who you were speaking to. He said, he, he said if, you, you do know that if you were to ask me if the roles were revo- reversed, that I would not respond to you the exact same way. He says, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me for a drink. And I would give you something to drink and you will never thirst again. But sometimes when you go to prayer, sometimes when you're speaking to Jesus, in that moment you have to go back. In that moment you have to linger in that conversation. Sometimes you have to linger in the altar and continue to have a conversation with God that you don't want to have. And it's okay to be filled with pain and it's okay to be filled with hurt. But sometimes you're going to have to leave a little blood on the altar to allow God to continue to deal with you. One of our youth were, were at the Move the Mission rally a couple of weeks ago. And he was travailing. He was praying on the altar And I promise he was there. He was the first one to the altar, and I believe he was the last one to leave. And when he picked up his head, his nose was bleeding. Bleeding on the altar. Because he is warring, he is fighting in the spirit, and he apologized to to the youth pastor of the church. And the youth pastor said something so profound. He said, don't worry about it. The altar is where you're supposed to shed blood. The altar is where you're supposed to sacrifice. The altar is where you're supposed to leave it down and never pick it back up again. But sometimes you just have to stay on the altar a little longer. Sometimes you're just going to have to shed a little bit more tears than your neighbor. Sometimes you're just going to have to fight a little harder. But some people stop fighting. Some people stop because it's too painful and God says stay on the altar just a little longer. Because sometimes I have to reach deep down into the well to pick up things that have been left dormant. And this woman, she is is speaking to Jesus. And she says, "I, I hear you and I'm still mad at you, but go and get me this water that you're talking about because I don't want to have to come to this well by myself anymore. I don't want to have to deal with this shame anymore. I don't want to have to deal with this this burden and this frustration. I want to fit in. I want to feel wanted. Go and get this water. Give it to me. And Jesus triggered her. He struck a nerve. He said, all right, go get your husband. (laughs) And she said, well, um, what happened was, um, you see, I don't got one of those, you know. And Jesus said, you're right. In fact, you have had five, and the one that you're with now is not even your husband. You know how painful that part of the conversation probably was for her? 
But her revelation, she said, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she started going in on Jesus again because sometimes we don't just have conversations about our pain. We have conversations and frustrations about unanswered questions when it comes to religion. Young people in today's generation are struggling with faith. Because there's so much that's taught in the world that you can believe whatever you want to believe. You can say whatever you want to say. You can do whatever you want to do. You can identify however you want to identify. And God is going to bless you just the same. And when those blessings don't come, it gets frustrating. Because we're expecting godly results with ungodly behavior. Amen? And so God tells this woman, you know, go get your husband. She says, I don't have any husband. He says, you're right. You've had five, and the one that you're with now is not even your husband. And she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. So tell me this, why is it that we can't worship with you? Why is it that you Jews say that people who worship God have to worship here, and we have to worship here? She is struggling with work to even worship. And then the conversation boils down to an end. And she says, you know what? I'm done with this. Have, have anybody ever been fed up in life like you were just done? Like, I'm tired of people always thinking that they know the answers. I'm tired of people always giving these motivational quotes. It seems like people always know the right thing to do but never the, or the right thing to say but never the right thing to do. And so in her mind, Jesus is just an, another prophet. And she said, I'm going to wait until God comes and clarifies this for me. She didn't have the access that we have right now. She couldn't just go in her closet, and she couldn't just be in Walmart and just break out in the spirit because God had not sent his spirit yet. And so she's saying when, when God comes and clarifies all my mess and why I have to go through whatever I go through, then I'll be okay. You see, the world right now, they have this mindset that, that I'm just going to be the best version of myself that I can possibly be. And when I see God on Judgment Day, he's going to be able to answer questions and I'm going to have some questions for him. And hopefully I've done enough good to get into heaven. That's what this woman's mindset was. And God said that I am the Messiah, that I am the one that you have been waiting for. And you see, what did it for her was the fact that she understood in that moment because if it was a prophet, it was, if it was a man of God, if Brother Kidwell went to this woman and Brother Kidwell is a prophet and he prophesied in her life and the woman says, I perceive that you are a prophet and that was the end all B story, it wouldn't have been enough. Because in her mind, he wasn't there in the struggle with her. He wasn't there when she was struggling. He wasn't there in the past pain and hurt. The man of God, the prophet of God is important, but sometimes we just need more. But when she perceived that it was God, she knows that God says, and they read the word, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will, he will never place more on, you, more on you than you can bear. And so the minute that she got that revelation, her testimony was simply, come and see about a man who told me about everything that I ever did. Because he was with me, he still is with me, and he has saved me, he has redeemed me. And the same people that was shaming her and judging her, she is now bringing them to Christ. Think about that. The same people that she was too scared to, to make an appearance to, she is now saying, come and see what I have experienced. Here is my testimony. And the Bible says that they went to see for themselves. If we can stand on our feet, if the praise and worship team can come. You see, like my story and yours, this woman at the well went to Jesus Christ in bondage but left the well free.
She came to the well hostile with an attitude and left with an attitude of judgment, adjustment. She came to the well to escape gossiping, backbiting people, but left sharing her experience with all who would listen. She came fed up with life, but left with life more abundantly. She came with questions of life and religion and left with answers from God himself. But I believe that while many of us might be filled with the Holy Ghost, we have not allowed the Holy Ghost to completely restore us. We have not allowed the Spirit of God to completely make us whole. Some of us are good with God patching things up. But I believe that the message of the hour is that God wants to give you the power of true freedom. The power of true freedom is not putting a smile on your face, acting like everything's okay. The power of true freedom is not going through the motions and faking it until you make it. But I promise you that every promise that God has ever made on your life, every promise that God has ever made on your kid's life, every promise that God has ever made is still in effect. But God cannot fully fill you up until you empty yourself out. And so with lifted hands right now, the praise and worship team is getting ready to minister. And I want everybody's hands up because a lot of times we, we struggle with things and we don't know in which ways we struggle. We know bad habits, but sometimes we struggle with an understanding of where these bad habits come from. But I just want you to lift up your hands to God right now. And I just want you to use your words. Use your words to acknowledge his presence right now. Allow him to, to bring things that have been deep down inside your earthen vessel. Allow him to surface it. Because you're not here this Wednesday night by coincidence. It's not just any Wednesday night. You're not here simply because God invited you, but this is a divine appointment. And if there's something that you want to release to God, if there's pain, if there's baggage, if there's any hurt that you want to release to God and you never want to pick back, pick back up, I, I, I challenge you just to, to take a leap of faith and just come and shed some blood on this altar. Come and lay it down on this altar right now in the name of Jesus. Just take a step. And I promise that every step that you take, Every time that you take a step, you will realize that there's something in your spirit that he's trying to draw out of you. Right now, this is your opportunity to come. Right now, this is your opportunity to say, yes, Lord. Yes to your will and yes to your way. Yes to freedom. I don't want the pain anymore. I don't want the hurt anymore. I'm tired of being bitter. I'm, I'm tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of making excuses. This is your opportunity to come. If you feel hesitation, that's the enemy. I challenge you to move despite the hesitation. I challenge you to push yourself beyond your comfort zone. I challenge you to say, yes, Lord, make me new. Open up my eyes to what you're trying to do in my life. Yes to your calling. Yes to your purpose. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Father, we, we come before you, Jesus. Father, we need you right now. 